Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, December 23rd, marks our 169th program and our final show of 2020. There were cheers and rejoicing when I said that. Because <laughs> we are, you know, we're, we're celebrating the end of the year and we're hoping that 2021 does bring us some better fortune all around. Um, today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus Pocket Guide. The Actus Pocket Guide is your essential CDI resource. It includes updates to clinical diagnostic standards, official coding guidelines, ICD-10 codes, critical thinking tips, and more. It's co-written by our CDI Education Director, Laurie Prescott, and a practicing physician, Dr. James Manns. So be sure to include this number one resource in your CDI library today. You can order that or learn more on hcmarketplace.com. All right, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program. Uh, 2020, fighting back and looking ahead. I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Don Valdez. Don is a clinical documentation integrity specialist here with us uh, at Actus and HC Pro. She serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps and a subject matter for Actus. Don has an extensive background in healthcare that includes more than 20 years experience in the healthcare industry, including ICU nursing, legal nurse consulting, and a nurse manager for a large third-party administrator. We're thrilled to have her back on the program again, so uh, welcome, Dawn. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Okay, next I'd like to introduce our, our very special guest today. We have with us Laura Stuber. Uh, Laura is a CDI specialist for Gunderson Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin. She has served as a nurse in the system for 31 years, where she's been privileged to work in a variety of departments, including diabetes education, medical oncology, family medicine, renal dialysis, coronary care unit, cardiology clinic, and most recently, the clinical documentation improvement department. She's been performing CDI work for the last seven years, earned her CCDS in 2020, has also been an active member of our Wisconsin Actus leadership team for the past year, and I want to welcome her uh, to the program, taking time out of her very busy schedule, which we're going to hear about in just a few minutes. So uh, welcome, Laura. Thank you, Brian and Don. Welcome. We're very glad to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Um, we're going, as we always do, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Let me go ahead and pull that up. I'll launch that on your screen. You should be seeing that at this time. Today, we're asking our audience, have any CDI professionals in your organization returned to the bedside to help fight uh, COVID-19? And your options are yes. We had some CDI professionals that were required to return. Yes, but maybe they went back on a voluntary basis. Uh, no. Don't know or not applicable. Again, we'd like to know, have any CDI professionals in your organization returned to the bedside to help fight COVID-19? 
and your options are yes, that was a requirement for some of them or all of them. Um, yes, but it was not required. Maybe you had some, some volunteers. No, don't know, and not applicable. All right. Well, thanks for sending in those results. We're going to be returning to these in just a few minutes. And as you will see, it's um, very much tied to the topic of today's program. So as I mentioned, Laura Stuber is our guest today. Laura, I want to welcome you to the show and thanks for being a part um, of the podcast. And, you know, let's just just, just jump right into your story here. We're, I was hearing about it for the first time uh, a little while ago. We were just chatting over email prior to that. But so you're a CDI professional who recently did return to the bedside and are currently uh, working in this capacity uh, to help in the fight against COVID-19. So could you talk a little bit about what you were doing prior and just how this all came about, how, how long you've been back, and, and uh, just a little bit about your, your background leading up to this? Absolutely. So prior to the pandemic, um, I was a member of our inpatient CDI team, um, seven nurses, and basically um, doing concurrent reviews, mortality reviews, clinician education, etc. Um, very similar to what most of us out there are doing. And basically I covered our critical care and neurosurgery and one of our general medicine teams. So my journey back to the bedside actually started back in October. And our revenue cycle director was one of our CDI founders. And she actually is a nurse by training. And she actually reached out to those of us in our inpatient and ambulatory CDI groups, to the nurses in those groups to basically find out how are we dealing with the nursing shortage? How are we coping? How are we feeling? How are we working through those feelings? And most of us were very well aware of the needs in our state, so basically the state of Wisconsin. Many of us had been getting emails from the state asking for volunteers, you know, asking for those people that had retired to come on back. Um, we also knew that there were many needs in other parts of our state, but it was also starting to reach our doorstep in, in La Crosse. We had heard about some of our advanced practice nurses, some of our clinical managers, even some of our VPs who were assisting on the units. For example, um, some folks were just helping with things like delivering supplies, um, transporting patients, those types of things. And it had come up as a topic of discussion at a leadership meeting. Well, those of us that replied were really struggling with, I think, many of the same feelings of being, feeling guilty, feeling helpless. We wanted to, to help, but we really didn't know if that was an option because our team was part of a non-clinical team. And so, you know, kudos to Jen and her leadership because she um, asked for a self-assessment. She asked us, where did we feel comfortable helping? You know, did we want to be helping hands? Um, were we comfortable maybe doing more CNA type work? Um, did we feel comfortable partnering with another RN to take a patient care assignment? Don and I were talking before the podcast and as Don and I both said, we've, we've been away from the bedside for a number of years and that is true for most of our CDIRNs. For myself, I had been away from the bedside for between nine and 10 years. 
And so basically when Jen gathered this information of where we all felt comfortable, it was shared with administration, nursing leadership, HR, and they came up with a process where we could sign up for shifts. And so this whole journey started out as a voluntary process, um, but I will tell you that at some point it did become all hands on deck. Um, it was no longer a voluntary process. The other really great thing about my journey is that I had the full support of my director. And I, I think a lot of that, and I attribute it to the fact that she is a nurse by training. Um, I had her support to be able to take my full FTE and return to the hospital to help meet patient needs. So um, that's kind of where I got to going back to the bedside. That's, been that's a little a, bit of the great story there, yeah. And kudos to you and all nurses who have voluntarily gone back to the bedside. Um, you and I were talking about this and I unfortunately have to live vicariously through you and others with this particular scenario. But so with that being, Laura, can you describe your current working scenario? Like what's the situation? What's it been like for you? Are you working, you know, multiple 12 hour shifts like we used to do back in the day when we were there? And how, what about your family? I know you have children and you have, you know, a daughter that you're kind of isolating there for a little bit. So how is it impacting you and your family? And are you working in a med surge, ICU? So just tell me a little bit about what it's like. Yeah, so when I started out, basically I started out doing one-to-one -one continuous observation shifts. Um, so those patients at risk for falls or those that are pulling on tubes and that type of thing. And at that point I was doing eight hour shifts. I was doing days, I was doing PMs, I was doing nights, I was doing four hour shifts. And basically it was any and every unit. Um, the central staffing office usually would give me a call about an hour before the start of my shift and tell me where to report. It also wasn't uncommon in the middle of those shifts that I would get pulled to go to a different unit to help out really depending upon patient needs. But the unique thing that happened and on December 1st, we at we opened a new unit um, in some vacated space and it was designed for those patients who were medically stable and basically winning nursing home placement. Um, maybe they couldn't go back because there was a COVID outbreak at their facility. Maybe they couldn't find an open bed for that patient. Maybe there were disposition issues. But the beauty of the unit is they designed it to mirror that of a skilled nursing facility. So what I mean by that is that the frequency and type of assessments that we did, med administration times, documentation, it was all tailored to be more on the level of a skilled nursing facility. Um, so that's a unit I've been working on. And yes, I did slide back into 12 hour shifts just like I used to do in the coronary care unit, um, right back into 12 hour night shifts to be honest with you. Um, I actually was pretty surprised, Don, you and I were talking about this. I was really surprised about how easily I slid back into that routine. It's like riding a bike, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing those three 12-hour shifts. Um, you mentioned my family. Um, I have been really blessed. My husband gave me his 100% full support to do this. And I will say that that has been the godsend. He has found just multiple ways to cover things at home so that I really could focus on work and getting adequate rest so that I stayed healthy. Um, because you and I know what it's like to work 12s. There's not a whole lot of time in the rest of your day. That's right. Um, 
You're Plus, tired. I have a forty. I have a forty-minute commute. So you know, you basically come home, you sleep, you eat, shower, and go back to work. Go back. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, you mentioned my kids. Um, I will be honest. My kids were not as enthusiastic about this as at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was really out of concern for my health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think when your children, uh, my, my kids are all in their 30s, so they, they range in age from 30 to 35. Um, they think at 58, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and that I fall into that high risk group. Um, I don't consider myself old. However, um, again, the lack of enthusiasm was really just wanting me to stay healthy and wanting me to be around for my grandkids. So. Sure. Um, I certainly appreciated their concern, but, um, yeah. Laura, this is, I get, I get that. It's, it's amazing. You know, really your volunteer spirit and going back and opening yourself up to, to some risk there in, in an incredibly important way. And it was hard getting you on the show. You know, I, when I was emailing you, it was, uh, you were in the middle of a, I think you were working six, 12 hour shifts in the next seven days or something. So, um. And, and I didn't even yeah, realize the I, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't know for other folks in facilities who've done 12 hours shifts, we've always done it where too, like over your weekend, you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're off Monday, and then you slide back, back in the following week for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and I probably shouldn't say, I won't say this word on, on the podcast, but yeah, we always used to call this heck week. <laughs> There's another term for that, but yep. yeah, basically oftentimes it took you a couple of days to recover after six, 12s and seven days. So, mm -hmm. right. yep. So just to bring this back, you know, this is the Actus podcast talking CDI. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're talking, you know, the clinical care here and, and your, your return, but just to, for our audience, uh, yeah, what are you seeing clinically in these charts that obviously you can talk about that might it might be maybe be of some help for the CDI professionals listening? You know, maybe now that you've put that hat back on and you're, are you seeing an opportunity for improved documentation anywhere? Maybe there's a better process you can recommend. Um, you know, I'm always, this has been the year of physician burnout. We've heard a lot about that. Uh, maybe there's a way that they can more compassionately work with these busy providers. I don't know if you have any just advice from a CDI perspective um, and, and based on your work here. Yeah, so a couple of things I've noticed. You know, obviously, I think we've all noticed that, or at least we've noticed in our facility that the quality has gone down. You know, a lot of it is our department went 100% remote. We used to always run at least twice a week with our teams. Mm. Um, it used to be funny because we would comment about how we used to walk in the room and the residents were quickly updating problem lists as we walked in the room. <laughs> Just our mere presence of walking in the door. At least I didn't run. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we also haven't had an opportunity to meet and teach our new residents which has been, you know, unfortunately, these, these new residents walked into our facility end of June, beginning of July, and in the middle of a pandemic, you know, they haven't put our names and faces together. We haven't been able to have those face-to-face -face discussions that I think are so beneficial in our work. When you can have those interactions with those clinicians to ex explain why are you asking these questions and why is this important, I, I think, I'm hoping that at some point we can find a way to bring that back. But I think this is a great opportunity for those of us in CDI to find 
new processes? How do we take the burden off? You know, is it having best practice advisories fire? You know, we're all using electronic documentation. So how do we minimize the burden? I know for our facility, our docs have been very reluctant to have anything automatically fire. They haven't wanted those um, they, they felt like they were roadblocks. And you know what? I think if we were to revisit that now, once things kind of calm down and they can get catch their breath, I think we have an opportunity to introduce and utilize the technology that's out there. I mean, there's so many things that we could be doing in Epic because that's our EMR um, to help them that I think they would welcome it instead of answering our queries, but then having to go and add everything as a separate step into the problem list or, you know, wherever we've asked them to fix it or in the discharge summary. I think there's a lot of ways that we could be doing this differently. So I think this is a time to capitalize on it. Again, once things calm down with the pandemic. Yeah. Thanks for that. So have have we lost you to the bedside or are you going to return? <laughs> you sound like you like it. Uh, it's, 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 you're in it, you know. Do you plan to return to CDI? And if so, is there a timeline or is this like an ongoing volunteer thing? And then the biggest thing that, I, that I'd like to know out of curiosity and for our listeners is going back to the bedside. So leaving CDI, going back into that clinical space. How has that recent experience impacted you as a CDI? Any new, fresh takeaways from there that you can share? How does it impact your CDI work? Okay, so multiple questions here, John. Yeah, I'm curious. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> so my current redeployment is scheduled through January 10th, and that's just being reevaluated on a weekly basis. And really just based on the current trend in our community, we're a little unique in my location um, because we serve a tri-state region. Uh, southwestern Wisconsin, southeastern Minnesota, and northeast Iowa. So it, it puts a new spin on what's happening here. Um, I do plan to return to CDI. Um, I will admit it has renewed my passion for the patient, but I'm also equally passionate about telling the patient's story. Yes. And I think that's where I get my new, I think that's what fills my cup these days. As much as I have enjoyed all of my years of patient care and um, that one-to-one -one interaction with patients, being able to tell the patient's story and getting that out there is my new passion. Um, the other note I made to myself is besides, you know what, you guys, I just got my CCDS. So it's hard to get that. <laughs> You can't let that go to waste. That's right. No. You worked hard for that. That's right. <laughs> Make sure you letting that go to waste. Make sure you tell the patients that too. I'm sure they'll be very impressed. <laughs> well, I I appreciate the the focus back on the yeah. patient because when I was working in the hospital system as a CDI manager and educator, I always tried to keep that patient focus in front of the CDIs because we still like. In fact, when we would get our morning census, it was like, okay, what patients do you have? So I really like that um, blend that you're providing there with that. So thank you. You're welcome. You know, this this experience has been extremely rewarding. Um, I have just so blessed with the opportunity to work with 
so many different staff that I might not have ever met. Um, some of the folks that came to this unit to work, um, they were, some of them were um, aides in our sports medicine department, uh, physical therapy aides. Hmm. Um, I worked with a gentleman on NICE who came from our service excellence department who had recently earned his CNA um, certification and hadn't had an opportunity to actually do any clinical work. Um, so not only did I get an opportunity to work with patients, but I also got an opportunity to work with staff and do some teaching. Um, just because I've had 35 years of experience um, mm -hmm. taking care of patients. So um, that piece of me that likes to teach, I got that opportunity to do that as well. Um, yeah. So, so lots of different skills that I got to do. And John, you and I were talking about this before the, the podcast that I think what was also rewarding to me as a nurse is that my skills were rusty, but I didn't forget them. Mm -hmm. And that it was pretty much like getting back onto that bike and I could do that um, because we did have some folks with tube feedings and needing to give IV antibiotics. And um, that was just a very uh, rewarding experience. Yeah. And I bet your documentation was excellent. So <laughs> there you go. It, it, well, I, I, I know I had way more in there than I needed. The hard part is they kept trying to tell us, you know, this is this is more like a skilled nursing facility. This is their home. Try to take some of that nurse brain out. You know, how to do that? Well, you got to explain things for that documentation piece. It's hard to get away from that once you've exactly. once you've got that skill down. So you know, one of the things <laughs> that I think I really took two away from it is just a better understanding of the importance of those PTOT notes and you know I'm going to admit that sometimes you know when you're when you've got a heavy workload and you're and you're trying to get through large volumes of notes and for me with covering critical care patients oftentimes I had so many notes in there with so many specialties PTOT notes fell to the bottom I'm, I'm going to just be open about that mm-hmm but working on this unit, those PTOT notes were really important to really understand, you know, where that patient was at. And I know that I spent way more time looking at those um, and understanding, okay, what level of assistance did they need? Were they making progress? Um, what was going to be the plan? Were they going to be able to go to rehab? Um, so I've, I have a newfound appreciation for those, those notes and those individuals. Good. So you're taking that back to to your unit when you return to CDI. Yeah, it's a good place yes, to I look am. for altered mental status and respiratory issues. You know, well, and just to behavior. be able to well, exactly, and to use the, uh, also um, some of those clinical indicators for the level of assistance for some of the other things too that we're looking at. Awesome. Well, thanks, Laura. Just any, anything you want to wrap up with? Just um, gosh, again, I want to commend you for your service here. Absolutely. Um, this, is, this is you put yourself in harm's way. I'm sure you've seen some things that maybe have been hard to deal with. But any anything that you want to have our audience just take away as we as we end the year here and end the show, um, not just to see the professionals, but human beings. I think just really reinforcing the need for empathy and compassion being kind to one another. I was greeted with so much gratitude and so much kindness when I went to these units to help out. And um, I'm trying not to get teary. You're sorry. Aww. That's um, just wonderful though. I think it's just really important that we are just good to one another right now. We yeah. all need to get through this together. 
Couldn't agree more. Yep, I agree too. Thank you. Let's take a quick look at our poll question here. I'm going to go ahead and share that back on your screen. Again, we asked folks, have any CDM professionals in your organization returned to the bedside? Uh, so about two-thirds said no, 63%. But 10% um, said yes, some CDI professionals were required to go to return, and 20% said um, yes, but that was not required. So we had about a fifth of our audience have mentioned volunteers going back to help out. 4% uh, don't know, and 3% not applicable. Um, any, um, any surprises here for you, Laura or, or Dawn? I thought it would be higher. I thought that the return to the bedside would be higher than than what I'm seeing here. Okay. About you, I, Laura? Did, I did too. That would yeah. have been my thought too. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm gonna just close this poll because I want to take a look at, um, we got a couple comments related to this topic. Um, you know, someone has said, we're not, we were not allowed, in my organization, CDI salary, we are not allowed to work in an hourly position. We would have to give up mm -hmm. CDI to do that. Um, so may, maybe that could be part of it. Someone else mentioned whether you need to complete a nursing competency checklist before returning. Maybe there was some worries about, you know, clinical care and depending on dependent on hospitals, et cetera. So probably some other. We reasons. did have some education that we did need to complete, and I did remain a salaried employee. Okay. Gotcha. So I I accepted the that I wasn't going to be paid differentials or weekends. Mm -hmm. I accepted that as a salaried employee so um that's yep. how we handled that for us and two not every hospital was hard hit it that's seemed right. to happen Correct. in certain geographical locations so some yeah. were not at that critical level i know in wisconsin right. some real bad times and there is again so and a lot of nice comments here laura just uh from denise penny lane just all of you one word wow you're a nurse hero mm -hmm. thank you for you are coming, so we appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yeah, Kudos absolutely. to you, Laura, and every nurse who's out there doing this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's very commendable. Yep. Let's just do a real quick, we only had a couple minutes left here. Uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to share a brief in the news segment. This again is our, this is our segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Um, Speaking of the fight against COVID-19, we mentioned this on last week's show with uh, Dr. Erica Reamer. There is a new FAQ out from the American Hospital Association on ICD-10 CM coding, as well as actually PCS uh, for COVID-19. I'm showing you where this lives. Um, as always, we will, when we post the recording of the show, we will provide the link to this. So this is on the uh, American Hospital Association website here. Um, you can just click here to, to see the FAQs. Um, you know, the AHA has been very busy since March putting out guidance for the accurate documentation and encoding of COVID-19. Uh, let's not, again, and it, today's show certainly emphasized that CDI professionals play a critical role, um, not just in, the, in, in Laura's case, going back to the bedside, but in all that we do, you do, tracking disease incidents, associated comorbid conditions, it all helps with containment. Um, did want to point out that this document contains 44 frequently asked questions related to ICD-10 CM, or as we know, the diagnosis codes, as well as 10 questions on PCS or procedure coding. Um, 
I'm not going to go through all this. This is, you have to go and take a look at it on the AHA website. Um, you know, just a couple highlights I wanted to share here. And as you can see, these questions are all dated going back to March. Let's see if I can scroll through here and speed this up a little bit here. This darn thing wants to block my screen here. Um, well, I'll just mention that <laughs> there are some updates here for there are some PCS guidance on the administration of vaccines as well as treatments like uh, dexamethasone, rem, remdesivir. Uh, there's a question 44, which actually lists the ICD-10-CM codes that take effect on January 1st of this coming year. We have J12.82 pneumonia due to coronavirus disease 2019. We've got codes for multi-system inflammatory syndrome, personal history codes, encounters for screenings for COVID-19. Uh, we have a Z code, Z code Z20.822 contact with and suspected exposure to COVID-19. And then we've also got a Z code for Z86.16 uh, personal history of COVID-19. So a lot of helpful codes here that will help uh, us as a nation track this uh, disease and, and continue in the fight against it. So recommend checking this out again. We'll provide a link to this uh, document, but any questions at all, Laura? I think you said you might have uh, any comments. I should say that uh, you, you actually took a look through this before we came on the show today. I just would encourage folks to take a look at it. There's great examples in there in terms of sequencing. Um, it really helped clarify for me the sequelae versus history of. Mm -hmm. um, some really nice, great directions, whether or not the symptoms are inherent or not inherent and whether you would include them as additional diagnosis. I just felt it was very thorough and comprehensive. So a great reference for folks to take a look at. Absolutely. All right. And then just to wrap up here briefly, we do have um, a new, uh, excuse me, a, a second survey out on COVID-19, impact of COVID-19 on CDI second surge. As we get past our holiday message here, uh, you will find that on actus.org. I encourage you to take it. This is a relatively brief 13 question survey, according to our survey tool, which only take three to four minutes to complete. Uh, we're hoping to share this data with you all in February of this coming year to look at how the uh, second surge of COVID-19 has impacted your organizations as well as um, CDI in particular. All right, well, that is going to do it for today's uh, edition of the Actus podcast. Uh, again, I want to thank Laura very much for her time today. Uh, amazing work you've done, Laura, to... Uh, get back out there and, and, and help with the fight. It's, it's, it's inspirational and a great way, I think, to end with, uh, what I hope has been an informative year for all of our listeners here on the Actus podcast. We're going to be back here again in 2021 with more shows. We're going to start off next year with a good clinical show to get us uh, back and refocused on post-operative respiratory failure, always an issue we know and continues to be one. So hope you can join us for that. As always, if you do have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. With that, I did want to wish everyone happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the programming we've brought to these last, uh, we brought you these last 12 months, and I'm looking forward to a lot more time together on the airwaves next year. So stay healthy, everyone. Take care. 
and we'll see you back here again after the new year.